you for joining us at Bangalore Revival Center. We are a church that's dreaming revival with God and serving people in love. It is our desire to equip you to represent Jesus and carry his great joy to the ends of the earth. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit dreamingrevival.com. Now, as you listen to the word, we believe that God will minister to you. So let me let me just uh, take some time to uh, to be able to share with you in brief as to what the goal of this morning is as far as God's word is concerned. Amen. Are you excited? Yes. I think we got to sort of uh, take some time, and I am grateful for the generous amount of time BRC always gives us uh, to ones who come to minister because usually I speak in Anglican and Methodist churches. Now, nothing against them. I'm myself from a Methodist church. We have limited time given to us. And you've got to say a lot in that 15 minutes given to you. So over the years, I've learned how to pack a lot of things in the little time that people have given to me. Uh, uh, and then also, then there are times when we come to places like this where they say, we want you to take about an hour. Now, an hour is a long time for God's word. So I'm going to do justice to the time that's given to me. I'm glad that I have this watch in front of me. Uh, and uh, we, will, we will see how the Lord leads us. Uh, I understand that you're in a season of seeking God. And you're extending it to a posture of fasting and praying. Right? Uh, many years ago, I, I remember meeting a, a devout uh, spiritual man from the Christian tradition, but not from a Pentecostal or even a Protestant denomination, but from a Catholic uh, background. And I was very fascinated when he said that fasting is supposed to not just be fasting of food, but fasting of other attachments, right? Uh, food is just one of the most favorite things for human beings. <laughs> it's amazing how much, of our, how much of our pleasure depends on eating. <laughs> if the food is not good, in my culture, you go to a wedding, and you know, I come from the, the Telugu Andhra culture, uh, you go to a wedding, if the food is not go good, that'll be the talk of the town for the next three months. The food was so bad in their wedding, right? And so much of our pleasure depends on, on eating. But over the years, I think, especially in this modern, postmodern generation, we've built many more sorts of attachments in our lives, right? One of the attachments is called social media addiction, right? And we, I think, so my encouragement to you right in the beginning is to be able to go deep uh, into the presence of God by detaching yourself from all regular attachments, food being just one of the many attachments. And, and, and fasting has to be holistically seen like that. So, so my prayer for you as a church, as you do this, that the Lord will take you into a season in this week, that as you increase this to one notch more, that God will meet you at the deepest points of your needs. Amen? So on that note, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be unpacking the gospel of Mark for us today. I'm a teacher slash preacher. So sometimes I get into a preaching mode. Sometimes I get into a teaching mode. Today I'll do a combination of the two. Is that okay? So I'm going to be giving you a 30,000 foot view on the gospel of Mark. And the reason I do this is not just because, you know, pastor called me and asked me to preach and I somehow came up with a sermon. Uh, ever since we got into a lockdown mode, actually even before the lockdown mode, I remember I was in Colorado Springs in our, in our headquarters there, in the middle of uh, our meeting. You know how I just told you about how we have these attachments to social media? Here was my phone on the table and a notification popped up from Forbes, you know, because I sub subscribed uh, to reading from Forbes. So I was so tempted to see what's the latest there. So I clicked it and there was an article that was about domestic servants in India. Wow, how did that make it to that particular uh, magazine or 
that was very interesting. So I got drawn to that. So I pressed it and I began to read while the meeting was going on. <laughs> and we were like 15 global leaders sitting there. It was a short article, thankfully. And the Lord began to speak to me. It basically talk, talked about how Indians treat domestic mates. And how around the world, the foreign domestic workers are treated. It reminded me of a friend of mine from, you know, I'm from Hyderabad. A friend of mine, a Muslim friend of mine who was invited because he got a job in Saudi. And once he landed up there, they took away his passport and they treated him so badly. And he became what we now call as a foreign domestic worker in that part of the world. I remember when I first spoke to him after he went to Saudi, it was a few years after he reached Saudi, it was very painful to listen to how he was treated by people of that particular context that he was in. I'm not saying all of the people are bad, I'm just saying there are some people. And this article just broke my heart. You know, as a born-again, spirit-filled follower of Jesus, when you see the affairs of the world, when you read newspapers, or when you watch television, when you see the things that are happening in the world, you got to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I remember many, many years ago when I was a new Christian, uh, reading from uh, one of the gurus that I think uh, I, you know, I, I've never met him, but he was my guru because I read his book so many times, John Stott, who says a Christian should be, a, a good Christian is someone who has a Bible on one hand and the newspaper on the other hand. Because a newspaper tells you what's happening in the world. The Bible tells you why those things are happening in the world and how you can actually fix it. Amen? And when I began to brood or meditate or think and reflect about that article I read, the Lord gave me a revelation. In about 10 minutes, I wrote a proposal to Biblica. <laughs> In 10 minutes, I wrote an article, I mean, a, a document, what is now becoming a new resource that we are launching, and it's called Serve Like Jesus. Serve Like Jesus. So I decided that the Lord has been speaking just before the lockdown, all the way till now. I've been looking at everything from that grid. So what I'm sharing today is not a very neatly packed three-point sermon, uh, but it is something that the Lord has been impressing on my heart that I truly believe is going to make a difference through the body of Christ in the nations of the world. Now, would you agree with me that we live in a very difficult circumstances today, even with this new pandemic that we are calling as the COVID-19 season, right? We're just getting out without knowing what exactly the whole, you know, all of life will look like uh, in the days to come. You already know how much this pandemic has affected particularly the lost, the least, and the last of society, whom we are describing as the unreached, unengaged, forgotten, simple people of the world. You know, I've been in ministry for too long, and, uh, you know, I'm from this country, so I can boldly speak about this attitude that we have towards the poor and needy. And... Uh, Many times I've actually corrected my own attitude, false or wrong attitudes towards people out there. Let me uh, share with you right in, the, right in the beginning that I don't come from a place of perfection. None of us are here. Nobody here in this church is perfect. But I come from a place of brokenness. At best, the body of Christ, at best, is a bunch of broken people. At best. We are a bunch of broken people. And God, for some divine reason, chooses our brokenness to heal the world that is already broken. That as we come and respond to God as wounded healers, 
not just wounded people. The problem with many Christians is that they remain in their wound for too long. They nurse their wounds so much that they are so protective over their wounds that they don't want to see the world outside that God is saying, I want you to step out of your shell. Yes, you have your wounds, but become a wounded healer. That's the difference between a wounded person and a wounded healing community. And the church is called to be a community that, that speaks from their experiential knowledge that God, He is healing me. And in the process, I will be available to heal the wounds of others through the love of Jesus in my heart. Amen? Are you with me here this, so far? So, so allow me to share this whole word that God has been impressing on my heart for quite some time. But I want to back it up with a little bit of uh, background here. I finished reading a book about a year ago called The Road to Character by a secular novelist, uh, uh, David Brooks, whose book became the New York Times bestseller. It's not a Christian book, but it has a lot of good Christian principles in it. I wondered, reading the book, I wondered if he was a born-again Christian. I doubt he is because of certain things he said. But nevertheless, he's got a big point. There is a bigger epidemic or there is a bigger pandemic that you and I don't realize is happening in the world especially ever since, you know, the world became connected online. It's called the epidemic or the epidemic of the big me. Uh, it's amazing how many people think they're super important in life today. There's a lot of surveys or research done in the world to be able to share with you, and this book talks a little bit about that research, as to how many, for example, how many presidents of America actually wrote their biographies uh, in, the, in the first, you know, uh, first half of the history of their nation. Very few. Today, every Tom, Dick, and Harry wants to write a book. <laughs> because somehow, we are succumbing or we are coming under the pressure of the big me culture. Let me read for you why and how. Only one aspect of why this culture the culture of the big me, uh, obsession with self is becoming huge. One of the reasons, there are many, many reasons, and we don't have time to get into all the reasons, but one of the reasons is what we call as technology. Right? Now, when you think into technology, technology is very good at the outset. But if you don't pay attention, technology can take you away also. Now, technology in itself is not wrong. But the way we use technology can subtly take us away from the truths of God, relationship with God, and relationship with people. One small example of that, before the days of the washing machine, all the ladies would meet near the well side to wash their clothes. And they would talk to one another. They would say, I saw your little boy smoking. You know, or I, you know, they, the news would spread by conversations. The day washing machine came, we started washing our clothes inside our house. So conversations became lesser, interaction became lesser with people, right? We might be connected online, but we might be totally disconnected with our neighbor right next door. And one of the reasons is we're so obsessed with me and my gadget, right? That we don't have time for anybody else. Now, David Brooks says in this book, we live in a culture of a big me. We are encouraged. We raise our kids to think how great they are, where we have to market ourselves to get through life. We are on social media where we broadcast highlight, highlight reels of our own lives on Facebook. And most of it uh, sometimes is, uh, what do you say, an attempt to brand ourselves. There are 93 million selfies taken per year, uh, per day, just on Android devices. That's a whopping 38 billion selfies a year on one platform, right? Selfies actually is becoming a psychological disorder today. Uh, psychologists are calling something called a self-ITs, right? Where if you are taking more than five selfies, you probably need to go and see somebody to help you with that. <laughs> now, 
taking it one thing and constantly posting it, posting it on social media is it takes the problem to another level, right? So we are we are obsessed with ourselves. Where do we have time to serve others then? <laughs> when we can't see the others, when we're all we're doing is we're seeing ourselves the whole day. Let me read one more thing that David Brooks says. Technology creates a culture in which people turn into little brand managers using Facebook, Twitter, text messages, and Instagram to create falsely upbeat, slightly over-exuberant external self that can be famous first in small sphere and then with luck in a large one. The social media maven spends his or her time creating a self-caricature, a much happier and a more photogenic version of real life. People subtly start comparing themselves to other people's highlight reels, and of course, they feel inferior. Right? Now, bear with me. I'm going to come to scriptures pretty soon, because all of what I'm doing right now is painting the context. I believe God is doing something in our midst today. So, in my opinion, this epidemic of the big me is a bigger problem than that invisible virus called the coronavirus. Of course, the coronavirus is, is kind of crazy, but we have more crazy things to be worried about. And one of them is this big me syndrome. You know, how do we overcome this obsession with self? How do we do that? And I'm glad that you as a church are pressing into the presence of God in, the, in a season of fasting. That's one way of doing that. But let me present to you some scriptural oversight from the Gospel of Mark today to be, able to, to be able to challenge you that nothing should replace the reading of scriptures. Uh, I think uh, one of the history, if you read the, if you go through the church history, uh, in history we have seen a lot of reactions. Right? We, we swing either to this extreme or we swing to the other extreme. And I have been a, a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus for a long time now. <laughs> you know, it's funny when, I, when you come to my house, of course, not all my books are in the library because it's all still packed. But if you look at all my books that I purchased over the years, and I'm talking about many, many years now, uh, you will see how my life has been on a journey of inquiry, a journey of pursuit. So you will see a whole collection of books from a very strong evangelical background. Because the first few years, we were part of an evangelical church, right? Then there was a season in my life where I was all about the charismatic experience of the gospel, Right? There's a whole range of collection that I have uh, on the Pentecostal charismatic expression of knowledge. And I've read most of it, most of it, right? And then I, I, I progress in my life a little bit more and I began to look at all the philosophical angles in which our worldviews are constructed, right? Because, because worldview is constructed by the experiences of life. I'll give you an example. When I, was in, uh, when I was in college years of my life, I was chased by the cops two times. I don't know if you've ever been chased by police. You know, once there was a 144 section, uh, and the Indians here might know what 144 section is. There was a murder that took place. I'm talking about 1986 here. Okay, 1986, there was a murder that took place. The local cops announced as uh, 144. We didn't know. We were a bunch of our friends hanging out at the bus stand with a guitar and all that. And the cops came to chase us. I mean, beat us up, actually. So we ran. And I remember running and escaping from that, that, that chase. We jumped over our church compound, knocked on the door of a pastor. Pastor was the one who reconciled between us and the cops. And the cops shouted at us saying, what are you doing? Don't you know it's 144 section? Now, you should know those days we didn't have WhatsApp <laughs> to communicate what's happening to one another. The next time, I'm in college, and our seniors came and said, 
come out of the college we are self declaring holidays we have to protest against the anti reservation we lost one whole year in education because for one whole year students all over this country 1987 it was 1987 there was something called as the anti reservation you know movement where we were not me but the students were burning buses tires breaking all kinds of things and whether we liked it or not our seniors dragged us into that protest and one day there was a lati charge and unfortunately that day i got stuck between this issue and i had to run for my life those were two experiences that i had about the cops 10 years later i'm in switzerland okay 10 years later i'm just telling you how world views are formed right it's formed by the experiences of life 10 years later i'm in switzerland went to my friend's uh, birthday party in the heart of lausanne in a place called uschi missed my last bus and i am coming back outskirts of lausanne by bus the last leg so we have to change two buses but the last leg the last bus has already left so me and my friend solova veloa from samoa that's his name <laughs> i love his name solova veloa from samoa me and my friend were walking up the hill climbing probably you know i don't know maybe 4 or 5 kilometers to reach our destination our, our accommodation guess who i see coming from the opposite direction cops my reaction to cops is that of fear my friend is happy that he can get a ride <laughs> same cops two different two different perspectives of cops and i was telling solo cops man and he said yeah that's great right we can ask them to drop us if possible i'm sure they're going to ask us for our visas or whatever and the surely the cops stopped and they said uh can we look at your passport please we said we don't have our passports you see that building there that's that's where we live get on the car <laughs> and i'm going with all my nervousness into cops car my friend is all excited of course we reach our accommodation we show them our passport and they let us go now see world views are formed over a period of time it's formed because of your experiences in your childhood it's formed because of the stories your grandmothers tell you it's because of books you read it's because of the movies you watch it's because of the you know supreme text you read the bible when you read it it shapes your thinking it's also because of the culture and the religion you grew up in and unfortunately we are surrounded by an ideology in our nation which says that certain people are born high caste certain people are born from the chest of the you know certain people are low caste born from the real you know un you know untouchable you know where i'm getting with this right world views comes from certain influences that comes at the back of our mind somewhere it's there in our subconscious level and we don't even realize we have it until we are experiencing it it's not a classroom study okay today we're going to do world view 101 and 3 hours you fix your world view no world view usually is a part of your subconscious system and you're caught by surprise and i see some great born again christians sometimes are thinking like non christians you know why because they haven't allowed god's word to change their thinking they have not allowed god's word to change their thinking you see so today what we will do is we will we will just go into briefly we will go into why we need to understand how can we overcome this obsession with self and how we can actually do that and one of the larger texts that i have for us this morning is the four gospels of the new testament matthew mark luke and john obviously we will not have time to read all of them not even the book of mark we will just read one small of uh, uh, passage from mark chapter 8 if you can turn your bibles there mark chapter 8 and uh, i want you to pay attention to verses mark 8 verses 22 to 26 let me read that for you they came to bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged jesus to touch him he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village 
when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him jesus asked do you see anything he looked up and said i see people they look like trees walking around once more jesus put his hands on the man's eyes then his eyes were opened his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly jesus sent him home saying don't even go into the village now the question that i want to ask you is why did it take jesus the greatest physician the greatest healer two times or two attempts to heal this man now uh a lot of people have told me a lot of things about when i asked this question in the past some people said well i think without faith it is impossible to experience anything so maybe the blind man did not have enough faith uh well i don't think so you know i i am a bible teacher and i go by context and i'm and faith yeah faith you need that's correct answer but not for this particular incident some people tell us that oh maybe the blind man had faith but disciples did not have faith so that affected the spiritual power of uh you can't really substantiate that with scriptures right and but here is a proposal i'm going to make and i think i can prove it to you by the context itself jesus is the jesus is so powerful that he can choose when to heal and when not to heal right jesus did not heal him the first time period jesus deliberately healed him partially in the first attempt and deliberately made sure that he was healed in the second touch with this blind man why do i say that and i and i wish we had like a whole time for, because there's so much we can unpack from this john mark the author of this gospel himself was blind once upon a time not physically spiritually the larger topic here is blindness not physical blindness but spiritual blindness and that's why reading the bible well is important the 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 writer john mark remembered the story and said hey man you know this this true story of jesus is important and i want to put it in my account of the gospel because it reminds me of my own blindness i had in my life i got so excited when paul and barnabas came to me and said john you want to come on a mission trip to me with us and he said he got so excited that he he landed up signing up for that mission trip what happened the bible says john mark left them in the middle of the mission's experience <laughs> he failed to see the power of what god was doing through paul and barnabas and through the preaching of the word whatever happened and why ever that why ever that happened we don't know the bible doesn't tell you why john mark left paul and barnabas but that became a bone of contention between paul and barnabas do you know that after first missionary journey when they were planning the second missionary journey Paul did not want to take John Mark he was too much of a distraction Paul said that guy doesn't see the value for missions I don't want to have anybody on my team that doesn't see the need for missions clearly <laughs> Barnabas said no let's give him a second chance Paul said nope that such a sharp dispute and you can read that in acts of the apostles that they split their ways Barnabas took John Mark and went to a different direction paul took silas and went for a second missionary journey keep that in mind when paul was an old man writing a letter to timothy perhaps one of his last letters he wrote paul is a much more experienced old man now he has been following jesus for many more years compared to the day he had that argument with barnabas you know he's writing to timothy and he says timothy you know what get mark with you when you come to visit me he's very useful to me in my ministry you know and please also bring my books only luke is with me and you can find that in second timothy if you read that so somewhere between that incident where they had a split over mark and this incident where 
Paul is writing to Timothy saying, please get Mark with you. He is useful to me in my ministry. Two people's blindness have been healed. Paul the apostle had a different perspective about brokenness of people and how you can give them second chances after second chances after second chances. You know who gives the second chances all the time? God, our Lord Jesus Christ is the God of second chances. <laughs> if you were not to give you and me a second chance, none of us would be here. Do you see what I'm saying? And John Mark, somewhere along the line, realized his own blindness and went back to God and said, God, heal me. I need to see this more clearly. In this passage, you will also see another bunch of blind people. You see, the disciples themselves were blind. Why do I say that? Because they were with Jesus for a long time by now. In verse 14 of 8th chapter, Mark says, the disciple had forgotten to pack food for the journey. <laughs> right? You, you just imagine this. You know, you just were hanging out with Jesus and you saw a huge supply of food from just five loaves of bread and two fishes on another occasion. You know, he fed 4,000 and this, the first occasion, the Lord took a few loaves of fish, uh, bread and just a few fishes and supplied to 5,000 people. On a second occasion, 4,000 people. You just experience God providing you food. Not for two people, not for 13 people. That was a theme of 13, Jesus plus 12, right? But for thousands, for thousands, not just the five. It was families and children, so there were probably more than that. Now they are on the boat, just with one loaf of bread. And they're worried about not having enough food for the journey when the bread of life was right in the boat with them. How many times you and I do that? We experience God's provision and we soon get worried about not having enough because forgetfulness is such a big disease to us as human beings. Right? So you see, he says, the, the Bible says, in verse 14 of 8th chapter of Mark, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus tells them something else, but it's all connected. And the disciples did not, were not able to see the connection. What did Jesus say to them in verse 15? He says, be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the east of the Pharisees and that of the Herod. The Pharisees themselves were blind people, spiritually speaking. Not all Pharisees, but most of them. And by the way, they were a religious group of people that actually got Jesus crucified. If you have to be a Pharisee, you got to be familiar with every single letter of the law. By a, from a small age, you have to memorize. They were so familiar not only of all the letter of the law, they were extremely, extremely familiar with all the messianic prophecies that came in in the Old Testament. You cannot be a Pharisee without knowing that. You just can't. And yet when Jesus was right in front of them, they could not see Jesus. Herod was a political king who told the wise men, Hey, when you find Jesus, you please tell me because our man was trying to slay. He didn't want anybody else to be a king, right? You see, both of these parties in a different, in a different gospel, it talks about the spirit, the, the east of the Sadducees, a rational spirit, a religious spirit, Pharisees, a rational spirit, Sadducees, a political spirit, the Herodians. Sometimes, and Jesus is saying, don't allow that to blur your vision of what I'm showing you. Right? And he's warning the disciples, saying, be careful of that influence in your life. And I want you to see, he asks them almost 11 questions in the next few miles of journeying with them. You know, can I read the questions for you? Go back to uh, 16th verse onwards. The disciples said, to one another it is because we have no bread he's telling us these things aware of their discussion verse 17 Jesus asked them why are you talking about having no bread 
do you still not see underline the word see or anything to do with sight here do you still not see or understand are your hearts hardened do you have, do you have eyes you know but fail to see and ears but fail to hear and don't you remember when i broke the five loaves for the 5000 how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up 12 they replied and when i broke the seven loaves for the 4000 how many basketful so pieces did you pick up they answered seven he said to them do you still not understand you can always you can almost visualize this scene isn't it jesus is firing away these questions to them and they probably are puzzled and totally confused maybe their faces are like i don't understand where you're going with jesus with this jesus and jesus is saying do you still not get it do you still not understand what i'm trying to tell you don't just see me as a as a good teacher don't just see me as a guru don't just see me as a as a miracle uh, person but i am the bread of life don't you get it that i'm with you you don't have to worry about food when you have with me you have it all <laughs> why are you so worried and and he was convinced jesus was convinced that the disciples were simply not getting it so as they finished their journey on the boat they were still walking and they came into a village called bethsaida and somebody brought a blind man to jesus and jesus said ah i got my presentation now i can do a powerpoint presentation to these guys you know what i'm going to tell these disciples by my two stepped approach to healing this blind man i'm going to prove it to them that they see me but they don't see me clearly are you with me here that i'm going to deliberately not heal the blind man because this blind man represents the blind condition of my own disciples my goodness they do, still don't get it after hanging out with me so long they still don't know who i am right are you with me here so far so he asks that blind man a very important and a purposeful question do you see anything and he says i see but <laughs> i see men kind of walking like trees not not really clearly and then jesus takes him the second time does a you know and heals him completely and the bible says and the man saw everything clearly now it doesn't mean the disciples still got the point now they finished their whole healing crusade in bethsaida with this one man now they're in a place called caesarea philippi okay now i did i did the math this whole conversation lasted about 60 miles so this is not just few verses that we are talking about this is a a long conversation when we read the bible we have to know the background really well only then revelation pops out so easily right so i, I you know if i had shown you my slides here you will see the whole map it's amazing how the discussion took place and where the discussion took place now they are in caesarea philippi and jesus is taking the converse, the same conversation that started in the boat he is now connecting it he is connecting it by asking hey who do people say i am and finally he says who do you think i am how do you see me okay others say that i'm john this you know elijah this but who do you think i am peter by the revelation of the holy spirit gets it right he says you are christ the messiah and i believe the lord is asking the church today who do you say i am because sometimes the things that happens in the world we think are so strange and new that we need to worry about it because it's so strange and new and those circumstances we allow them far too long to blur our perspective on Jesus and on people not just Jesus we don't just see Jesus unclearly but we also see people unclearly and i believe today the lord wants to heal that blindness you know he wants to begin the journey of healing our blindness you see the gospel of mark is a beautiful gospel 
Now, it's not the gospel of Mark, really. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark, right? So all the four accounts of the gospel, what is a go gospel is nothing but the life, birth, or the birth, life, teaching, ministry, and commands of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, right? The birth, life, ministry, teaching of Jesus Christ. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the king of the Jews because his audience, Matthew's audience were all Jewish people. Luke was writing mostly to Gentiles. In fact, he wrote that gospel actually to Theophilus, who was a Roman officer. And he's presenting Jesus as a savior of the whole world, not just the Jewish people. John is writing 90 years after Jesus resurrected and he is proclaiming Jesus as the son of God. He's correcting the Gnostic teaching that existed those days. Mark, on the other hand, is writing to a bunch of Christians who were severely being persecuted by the Roman Empire. Are you with me here? And that's why he was in a big hurry to write his gospel, only 16 chapters. Right? And he was basically emphasizing to the audience because the audience were being tortured like crazy to be followers of Jesus. You should remember that the first 300 years, Christianity was not legal. There was no religion called Christianity, it was only Judaism. It was illegal. People almost thought that Christians were occultic. You know why? Because a non-Christian, I mean, imagine this now. For a moment, just imagine this with me. How would a non-Christian those days understand a Christian if they overhear their conversation? Hey, I'm partaking in the blood of my guru <laughs> and eating the flesh of my guru. We just did that, right, this morning? <laughs> I mean, just imagine when you say those, that kind of language, I'm actually eating the flesh of my master and drinking the blood of my, it's like, they, they, they think you're gone. Something is not right with you. So, so the perception that people had, and, and Christians always talked about judgment for fire. So Nero wanted to burn all these buildings because he loved building new buildings. And he burned all these buildings and blamed it on Christians, that they're the ones who are always talking about fire. So he was doing propaganda against Christians and both religiously and politically, Christians were being persecuted. All over the world today, there is the same amount of persecution in different expressions rising by the ear. And our, our country is no exceptions. Right? So Mark was writing to an audience that you and I can actually relate with. Imagine if, if persecution in India increases more we will want to, we will actually question our own faith. Some people will be so tempted to question their own faith. And Mark is saying, I want you to know, my friends, as I write this, I, want, I hope you can see in these 16 chapters that Jesus is a suffering servant. How, how does Mark introduce Jesus to his audience? Jesus as a suffering servant. Matthew, king of Jews, John, son of God, uh, Luke, savior of the whole world, and Mark is very carefully selecting those stories that will make sense to the audience and saying Jesus is the suffering servant. He's not asking you to suffer for which he did not suffer. And if he can overcome suffering, you can overcome suffering as well. And it's beginning to say, and you begin to read in Mark chapter 10, he says, for the son of, son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. That's a key, key verse of the gospel of Mark. And you, you see, and, and the more you read the Bible, not just the gospel of Mark, the more you read the Bible, the more the Bible calls us to be like Jesus. So if Jesus could serve people, then we got to serve people as well, isn't it? You see, we cannot escape 
That is the greatest call I believe the Lord has given to his church to serve him, but also serve others. Now I'm going to stitch everything that I'm going to trying to say here. You know, we cannot truly serve people if we cannot fully see Jesus clearly. In other words, our service to people is as good as our vision of Jesus himself. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? That if we don't see Jesus as the chief servant of all human beings, by the way, Philippians 2 reminds us of how Jesus served us, right? He, even though he was God, he gave up his right to be God. He became man. He was servant. He was obedient, even to the point of suffering to a cruel death like the death of crucifixion. And Paul, and Paul is telling the church at Philippi, you got to have the same attitude that Jesus has. You know, do not consider others lesser than yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Do things for others. I mean, that's the theme of the gospel. You see, and, and the first step, the first point that's very important for you and me is that as we press into the presence of God, that we need to say, God, stamp eternity in my eyeballs. Help me to see you more clearly. Now, you and I may be tempted to think, oh, if I were alive 2,000 years ago and hanging out with Jesus, maybe it would have been easy for me to have faith in Jesus. That's not true. Because the disciples hung out with Jesus and still struggled with it until the day Jesus died. <laughs> That even though Jesus told them, don't worry, I will die. I will rise up again on the third day. You know, I mean, he told them, gave them enough teachings on that. And yet they were so disillusioned when Jesus died on the cross. Right? They experienced miracles after miracles and after miracles and still, be, still were very, very worried. And you and I are the same. Human beings are the same. We are same like the early disciples, that unless the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a revelation, we cannot see him clearly. So the first call, my, my dear friends, is for us to ask this question, Lord, help me. How do I see you clearly? Give me a revelation. You know, we are called to see Jesus clearly. And I can share with you so many examples from the Bible where people could not serve God effectively until they could see God clearly. Moses was only seeing his background. I'm a Hebrew. I'm stuck in this Egyptian palace. I'm happy about it because I get to study. I get to have all the right food. But my brothers and sisters are struggling as slaves in Egypt. So he wanted to be the Messiah. Remember that? So he could not see God. He could see only justice from his perspective. He landed up killing one person. Then he was running away for 40 years in the wilderness. And one day as he was attending to his work, he saw a burning bush that was not being consumed. And he meets with God. His vision the first 40 years was completely transformed for the next 80 years. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That when he met with God in the burning bush, his life changed. I can think about uh, Isaiah, the prophet. Have you been in uh, late uh, watch night services on 31st of December when you get your promise card? Have you ever wondered why everybody gets only promises from Isaiah 40 onwards? And you never, get a, you never get a promise from Isaiah 1 or Isaiah 2. It's all full of curses there. Not curses, but full of woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. Right? We only like favorite verses in the Bible, right? <laughs> we we got to read the Bible fully to understand the value even of the favorite verses. Sometimes we pick and choose our verses. That's not the right way of reading the Bible. Right? We need to read the whole counsel of God's word to be able to be a whole Christian, a complete Christian. Complete Christian requires... It's like, it's like, if you only like, if you only like dessert all the time and only eat dessert in the morning, dessert in the afternoon, dessert in the evening, 
you will have diabetes, sugar, all kinds of problems because wholesome eating is very important. Spiritually, a lot of Christians don't really read the Bible well. And that's our ministry at Biblica, to teach people how to read the Bible well because you cannot see God clearly if you cannot read the Bible clearly. You know, the revelation of God is given to us in scriptures. We've got to understand that it, very, very important. There are no shortcuts to it. No shortcuts to it. You see, Isaiah, if you read Isaiah 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, in all of these five chapters, Isaiah the prophet is saying, Woe unto you! Woe unto you! And is pointing his fingers at everybody there. Comes to Isaiah 6, Hosea, the king dies. He goes to the presence of the Lord and he sees God. <laughs> and you know what he says? Woe unto me! When you see God, you see yourself clearly. Are you with me here? Yes. You cannot you see yourself clearly if you cannot see God progressively. We can never see God fully today, but we can see God progressively clearly. Amen? And God, by His grace, will allow us to go step by step into that progressive revelation of who God is. Like I already proved it to you, Paul could not see Mark the way Jesus would have looked at Mark. But even Paul, a great man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, towards the end said, bring Mark, he's useful to me, because he saw something that he never saw when he was a younger Christian. Right? You see, my friends, you and I are called to this journey of continuously seeing God the way he is. You know why? Because then, from there, we can see ourselves clearly. Uh, I'm sort of slowly going to be winding up here, but going to bring the big point of how do we serve others. You see, the other day we swiggied something. Our kids were hungry, so we decided to get some pizza for them. And uh, Domino said it'll take 28, 25 minutes or something like that. So I was excited. The timing was perfect. And I got lost in my work, emails, this and that, and I forgot about this guy who was supposed to deliver. By the time I realized it was 45 minutes and the pizza still didn't come home. Then I tried calling and they said, sir, this is Swiggy, but Domino, you, know, you need to contact Domino's directly. And I was just not able to get the 1-800 or one, whatever that number was given to me. Finally, the guy calls me after an hour, the delivery boy. He calls me an hour later, and I was a little bit irritated. Have you been ever irritated when people don't keep their word? Yeah. Right? And I was, I was like a little bit irritated. And I said, come on, boss. You know, we ordered. It's 25 minutes. It's already one hour. What is this? You know, you, he says, sir, sir, sorry, sir. You know, I'll come. I'll come in about 10, 15 minutes. I said, please come right now. So he said, okay. And then it took about another 15 minutes to come. And finally, he said, sir, I'm here at the apartment. I said, come upstairs, fourth floor, blah, 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 blah. So he now rings the bell. And my wonderful wife, she pulls out 100 rupees as a tip for him. And I'm like, why do you want to give that? Now, she doesn't know the background story, right? And I'm, my, my human heart, for a moment, for about, when I say a moment, I'm talking about for about 30, 40 minutes, lost it. And I forgot to see the man behind the box. Now, thankfully, praise God for Vicky. She said, darling, these people work so hard. They are so simple. They're working, you know, they're working very hard. Their pay is so less. I just want to bless him. And boom, it just stuck in my mind. My goodness, Jesus sees people as people. And oftentimes, we ignore so many people that come to our doorsteps every single day. You're out there with an Uber driver. You're out there with an Ola cab driver. You're having a chowkidar in your society. You have a milkman delivering milk for you. You have a veg vegetable vendor. You have, uh, you know, uh, the swiggy guys or delivery boys, the courier guys. What an incredible opportunity to serve like Jesus. Would Jesus have stopped and paid attention to people? Well, read the Gospels and you'll see that Jesus always did that. 
You know, in, in our culture, like when I see wedding photographs of my older, not now, but I'm talking about our relatives and wedding photographs, usually everybody is dressed really smart, but the children are not, because somehow the children are not very important, right? Somehow we say that children, they can manage, right? Because we are, we are, we are trying to show off, somehow the children are not the central piece. You know, things have changed now, don't get me wrong. But in the, in the days of Jesus, that was the same thing. Somebody wanted to bring kids to Jesus, and disciples said, no, no, it's too busy for, for you. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, I've come for these people, the little ones. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. You know, this lady touched his hem, and he said, who touched me? And disciples like, so many people, Jesus, many people are touching you, come on. We got a schedule to keep up with. No, I want to talk to this girl. Right? She took, takes time to talk, takes time to talk to that woman. Takes time to talk to the lepers, the blind people, the lost, the least, the forgotten, the untouchables, the outcast of the society. Jesus had time to look at them. And for these many years of ministry that I have been in, I have rented houses for offices so many times and I get so upset when I see what we traditionally call a servant quarters. You know how, how small those rooms are? Have you ever seen any of those designs? They're inhuman. Where does that come? Where does it come from? It comes from the attitude that they don't deserve a good ventilation. I mean, it's just a small room for them. I will not keep an... I will not sleep there. I'm not saying you have to go land up giving everything. I'm just saying that how do we, what is our attitude towards people in our culture? And I have seen myself as a faithful, I call myself a faithful believer, but I know of times when I can give into that humanness and forget to see people like Jesus would see them. So my friends, this is, I believe, God doing something very, very powerfully in the church. If there's something that took place in the last nine months, even more powerfully is how many churches began to see the needs of the lost, the least, and the last. Did you know that most of the cab drivers in Bangalore or any city that you go to are not from Bangalore city? They're from the smaller districts of the neighboring state, neighboring city. You know, they're from Tumkur, Hassan, Dawangiri. They're not very familiar. They look, they're coming to cities because of jobs. And did you know that most of them are from the unreached people groups, missiologically? Did you know that they have their own life stories and miseries? I remember many, many years ago, there's a guy called Amit. I don't know if my wife remembers that. He was supposed to deliver me a courier on a particular time. It was a DHL courier from the US and he delivered me the next day. I remember being upset with him. And I remember even at that time, my wife corrected me and she said, he will have his own reasons, let's invite him. So we finally, and I, I was so sad about the three, it was not like a big argument, but I just, snapped him with my words <laughs> you can kill a person with your words right I just snapped him with my attitude and my, the words and he just had his head down and she's the one who said come in you want to have a glass of water and we were having our tea at that time at 11 tea so she served him some tea and I asked him so what's your name he said Amit where are you from North India what are you doing here how old are you 18 wow you're working in this company at 18? Yes, sir, I work in the morning. I mean, I, I work in the morning, study in the night. I go to the night, night college. And he began to talk about how his mother was sick the previous day. And please, please sir, please don't tell my boss. Of course, everything is tracked in G DHL. You know, everybody out there has a story. Everybody out there is made in the image of God. And sometimes we forget. And here is my final point. I believe God is calling, particularly the church in India, and I believe all over the world, but church in India, to read the Gospel of Mark 
and reach the people that come to our doorsteps on a day-to-day -day basis. Every single person sitting here, imagine this, you're meeting at least five people every single day by way of people serving you. They're bringing you your food, they're riding you from point A to point B, they're delivering your newspaper if you're taking a newspaper. They are very simple people for whom the kingdom of God belongs. While you may not always be able to share Jesus through your words, but you and I can share Jesus through our deeds. And over a period of time, trans see God transforming their lives. I remember the guy who supplies meat to us when his son met with an accident. My wife and her friend, they went to attend the funeral. Of all the customers he has, the only two people that actually showed up to the funeral were these two people. Even till today, even without blinking an eye, that person always gives us a good rate. And it's not about the rate, it's about he knows, he knows that we love him. He knows we are not just having a transactional relationship. There is something different in this relationship. And imagine that, my friends, in a time when there are political forces that are stopping all acts of evangelism, if every one of us begins to share the gospel, the love of Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis, not by going somewhere else out there in a mission field, the mission is coming to our doorsteps on a daily basis. They are right in front of us. Do we see them clearly is the question. How can we see them clearly if we don't see Jesus clearly? You see how everything is connected now? When we see Jesus and when we look at these people through the lens of Jesus, through the perspective of Jesus, all kinds of ideas can pop up. And you know what? Your church will explode like crazy. More people will be added to the vernacular church because you'll suddenly find Kanadigas, you'll suddenly find North Indians, you'll suddenly find all kinds of people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember dropping my son to Uti, studying, uh, he was studying at Uti, I mean, he's still studying at Uti. One of the trips I dropped him, and you know, we went to Coimbatore, took a, rented a taxi, I dropped him at his school, took the same taxi, came back. So I had about six hours or seven hours with this taxi guy. Coimbatore to Uti and Uti back to Coimbatore. I had to come back the same day because of work. And while coming back, I, saw, I noticed his water bottle was so dirty, at least from the outside. And we were trying to buy water bottle, water bottle because I was thirsty. That's when I noticed his bottle. And none of the shops in Uti sells plastic bottle because plastic is banned and they're pretty strict about it. So we could not find water for a long time in that ride. <laughs> so... I was looking at his bottle and he said, sir, do you want a drink? And I said, no, it's okay, I'll just wait. Because I don't know what else is there in that bottle. You know, it just looked very dirty to me. And suddenly the Lord spoke to me and said, buy him a water bottle. So immediately I went on Google Maps, looked for Decathlon. And there was one Decathlon, a little bit away from the route to the airport. So I told him, Baisab, you know, can you take me to Decathlon? So I, I readjusted the map for him. We went to Decathlon, purchased him a water bottle, gave it to him. I told him, please drink water from here. Don't drink from plastic. There's a reason why those guys are telling not to drink from plastic. It's not good for your health in the long run. He was so blessed. So we still had about 20 or 20 minutes left in our car ride. <laughs> and I told him, he asked me, what do you do, sir? I rarely meet people like this <laughs> who think about us. I say, you know what? Jesus is even greater. I'm a follower of Jesus. And those 20 minutes, we just ex exchanged just a few words. And it's almost like I became his friend, like, like his best friend. <laughs> At least from his perspective, he was like, sir, you take my number. Anytime you come to Kambutu, sir, I will drive you around. And he was genuinely telling that it just costed me 200 rupees to buy him a bottle. Are you listening carefully here? How many missed opportunities we have in our lives simply because we fail to see people whom the Lord might be bringing to our doorstep 
on a daily basis shall we just look to the lord do you see jesus clearly who do you say jesus is in your life are you in need of a second touch from the holy spirit are you like like that blind man who sees jesus but sees him vaguely do you need a fresh outpouring of the holy spirit in your life is there a need for you to say god i don't want to simply be a christian but i want to be a christian who can see others like you see help me to be an active vibrant member of the bangalore revival center because revival cannot take place if the people in that revival do not see jesus and people clearly and imagine if 50 of us 60 of us 100 of us thousands of us begin to capitalize on opportunities at our doorstep what will that look like in just a matter of 3 months it will revolutionize the multiplication of the church let me just pray for you and i'll hand it over to the pastor father stamp eternity in our eyeballs help us to see what you see help us to experience what you want us to experience not only help us to see you but help us to see people around our lives so that we can stop we can make time we can we can do things out of the way being led by your spirit in blessing the lives of the people that you draw to our doorsteps every single day of our lives help us to serve like you in your name we pray this prayer amen thank you for tuning in we believe that you are blessed by the word we would love for you to be our guest on any of the weekends on a saturday night service at 7 pm or a sunday morning service at 11 am For more information please visit our website dreamingrevival.com